Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. And thanks, everyone, and have a seat. Thank you, team. We love you guys, and we're so blessed. Uh, it's, it's good to, to be with you all. Uh, you know, if we haven't met, my name is uh, Dom, and uh, Dominic, and I'm one of the, uh, the leaders here and pastors. And, uh, you know, when Dave was talking about, like, uh, just busy weeks and, and strange weeks, you know, this week I was traveling a bit. I was actually with uh, one of our partner churches, a previous church who helped us as we started our church was in Calgary. And I was just even a bit of the jet lag. And, you know, you get tired sometimes. Things are going on. And, you know, but you just still are committed to staying focused on the things of God. And so uh, a few minutes ago, I just mentioned a little... Uh, a little note about tax receipts. Maybe you're watching online, and so we hope you can make it here in person and pick those up, or we got to send a pigeon, pigeon to your house to drop it off. Uh, but I also want to say a special thank you to our finance team. Uh, you know, many of you maybe don't know this, but the life of the church and the way the, the, the ins and outs of the church, you know, are really connected to so many different gifts that are happening behind the scenes. And we usually never think about that. When things are going well, we just don't think about it. How many of you like sports? Anyone like sports? Some of you? You know, there's a saying in sports that says when the referees are doing their jobs, you never talk about them. You know, it's kind of a little bit like with the finance team. When things are just going well and things are being checked out and whether it's the building or issues with the government or, you know, staffing uh, related to our finances, our team has done such a great job. So, you know, when you pick up your tax receipt on your way out and you see some of them who are either at that desk, just say thank you to them. Just say thank you for just being faithful you know, when they're here and helping us. And so in this morning, actually, some of you know this, we're actually starting a teaching series to talk about a topic we all love. We all love talking about money. We all love making money, except in church. And so this is one of those difficult things, and I, I want to just begin by saying, you know, that for many of us, this topic is kind of a strange topic that we, we wish we had more wisdom about, but again, there's some spaces we're not allowed to really talk about it, and the Bible has all kinds of different ways that it introduces us to the topic of money and giving, and so I want to just say, just as we begin, that this is a series that we've decided over the next few weeks to tackle, and in the life of this church, some of you online, you might know this if you're watching online, like, we have never really done a teaching series, like, focused consistently on the issue of money. Some of you maybe know why, uh, maybe because, you know, you realize money and church, especially in Quebec, has a really strange kind of story. Uh, and so this morning, I really want us to maybe understand as we begin, kind of as an intro, that I want you to think about the issue of money in the context of the Bible as a conversation about learning about God's provision. That's really important. It's an important connector. It's not just about who gets money and how we make money and who uses money, all those questions that are obviously like a little bit tense for people, but it's about thinking about God's provision for us in seasons when we know that only he can provide. And one of the ways he provides is by helping us, by blessing us and by helping us understand our resources and by helping us understand our hearts and our hearts are sometimes connected to his blessings in a way that turns into idolatry. 
And this is an important thing. The Bible talks about all this. And, and my prayer for many of you this morning, and as we go through this series, is that you would start to sense God saying to you that he has ways of providing for you that you still don't understand. Or maybe for some of you, you need God to maybe correct some strange perspective or a weird feeling or experience you once had with money related to church or religion or faith. So part of it is some correction for us. Maybe you need that and, and you want God to kind of help you. Uh, and then for some of you, God wants to show you what it means to become very cheerful and joyful when you think about money. Because the Bible talks about this principle that people whose hearts are committed to God, when there's a, a reason to give and they notice that God is asking them to, to have open hands in their generosity, that they would do that out of a place of cheerfulness. I mean, wouldn't that be beautiful we've all just got there? Because for a lot of people, church equals almost like a little bit of the government, like how the government takes your taxes. Like the government doesn't ask you for your, they, they just take it, like you don't even know what happened, right? And for some people, the church is like, yeah, but money, does the church want our money? And I've been a pastor long enough that I hope I'll, I'll talk about some of the, the things I've heard over the years in church as a pastor about money, right? Maybe if you have young kids, maybe your kids ask you those questions. Like why, why do we, here's one, classic. Like why do we have to give money if God has everything? Like God doesn't need our money. I'm like, that's a good thing, yeah, it's true. So why do we give? Maybe you have questions about money or about like someone using money in a weird way. And so we hope we'll talk about some of those things so that you also know better how to talk about money when you start to practice being generous. Because there's a lot of people in the world, a lot of people you know, if you told them you were helping a church and attending a church and cared about the things of God and part of that means that you would surrender some of your resources to God's work, they would say, are you crazy so part of a series like this is also to help you have a better way of expressing why we worship with our giving and with our money. Now I want to begin by playing like a little kind of exercise with you, like a mental exercise. Some of you like are, are quieter today. You're like, oh my goodness, so cold. You're like shutting down. I feel it. So I got I to gotta turn it up a notch. Is that what you're going to make me do? No? Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I just want you to think of a time. So take a minute now. We're going to do this mental exercise. I want you to think of a time when you remember money being used in a very strange way. Or you had an experience where you were helping with money either in a church or a business or somebody did a job or somebody was a Christian and they were going to help you and it all went south. It turned out really, really ugly. I'm going to give you like 20 seconds. Think of that story in your mind. Okay? If you don't have one, come see me. I'll give you lots. Okay? Maybe you know a story of like corruption in the church, pastor steals money. You know, you have one of those. We all have these stories that we link to something related to money, right? And this is a human thing that we have to talk about as we talk about giving because it's related to the way humans learn as they associate a bad experience with something else that happens. This is not only, has not, not only to do with money, it has to do with life. For example, if you dated someone when you were younger and they cheated on you, there's an association you make with that person all the time or people like that person. And you're like, I gotta stay away from people like that. Right? Or have, this is the classic. Have you ever eaten something and right after you ate it, you felt like throwing up? Anyone? And then next time you s even smell that food, you're like, oh my God, oh my God. Some, some of you, it happens when you go to your mother-in-law's house. You go and you're like, oh my God, I gotta get out of here. Not me. Mom, if you're watching, I love you. Okay. But maybe. Okay. You have these moments where like it's an association trigger and sometimes that's good. It's meant to protect you. Like don't eat that, that again, you're gonna die if you have an allergy, but I think when it comes to money, it falls in that kind of category. That if you've had a negative or bad, bad experience with money, the minute someone says the word, you have two things. One, did you say money? 
You know how to get rich? What? Or, did you say money? Oh, church. Oh, my goodness. I don't even want to talk about that. Like, there's a certain reaction. So, for this series, as we learn about this, I'm going to ask you to pay very close attention to when you feel that happening. And almost, I'm going to ask you to take that very painful situation as real as it is and as important as it is to just put it to the side and ask God to help you have a fresh kind of perspective. Say, God, I just want to learn again. I don't want that difficult situation to cloud everything you're trying to teach me. It doesn't mean to ignore that situation or to say it was okay that it happened, but to say you want to learn in a new way and be open to how God's going to stretch you. Because that association thing is huge when it comes to thinking about money. One of my earliest experiences with church and money and you know, structures of the church, some of you know this, is one of my earliest church experiences is being a young leader and, and being fired from a church. And then just feeling like really disoriented. And part of it was my fault. I was like young and immature. And part of it was the leadership. And I always remembered. I'm like, churches. Oh. You know, they, they never do the right things. And, you know, if you, you know, they always have a story about like, oh, you know, for that. And I, it took time for God to begin to heal me. You know, I'm a pastor today, so obviously healing happened. <laughs> you know, like we, we moved through those and we're like, God, that's not the whole picture. Like I need to grow from that and I need to understand that. And I need to know what part I played in that and how that works. And so a few months ago, the elders of our church, which are like the senior leaders of our church, uh, you know, they had asked me that, you know, the sense that we probably need a teaching series on this topic. And I started to pray and think about God, how can we learn about this in a context like Quebec when we have years of painful stories in the, the fabric of learning about church? And, and I want to tell you like, that this series and this even this morning, it's not a teaching series to get you like, at the end of the sermon to start giving. Like, I'm not going to invite you up with, bring an envelope up today. Like, there's none of that. That's next Sunday, but not this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So I don't want you to feel like a dom setting us up for a trick and then a big basket's going to come out at the end and you leave your wallet in it. No, no, no tricks. Okay, so just take a deep breath. It's going to be all good, right? But it, the elders did say, like, we as, as a church... And, and as leaders, we want a, a better understanding of how the Bible addresses these things. So the elders asked me to, to begin to think about this and pray about this, and our staff talked about it. And, and I want to tell you something that I really think was from God as a framework for this series. That whenever you look at money, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down, whenever you're learning about money in the Bible, it falls into like three kind of main categories. One is the gift of wisdom related to money. The other one is the importance of warnings about money. And the last one is how we learn to pay attention to our wants when it comes to money. I gave you like, like the three W's just for those of you who want to remember, okay? The wisdom related to money, just the warnings connected to sometimes loving money, and paying attention to the wants, the things we want, the things we desire, because they're connected to having money. And the Bible weaves those together in a very special way. And I want to begin this morning by just slowly walking you through this and showing you some of this, okay? This is an introduction because all of you are going to be here next week, and many of you online I know are going to come, so we're going to go deeper a bit more next week, okay? The sermon for this morning is really about, like, can God trust you with more? Are you the kind of person that has shown signs of being generous in your life, that if God wanted to bless you with more, that would not grip your hearts where you would start to love money? And so the Bible actually deals with something much deeper in us as it points to how money affects us. So I want to begin by talking to you about like a general principle about learning about the Bible and money. Some of you maybe don't know this, but people in the Bible didn't use money. Okay, so just, I know when you're reading your Bible, it says money. It's not, it's kind of a modern way of how we think about transaction. In the ancient world, they didn't have banks. You didn't have a guichet machine. You didn't have that, right? So we're, we're kind of entering a space where people understood transaction. They understood either a barter system, 
In the ancient world, actually, one of the ways that even the emperor paid people for good things is he paid them in salt. This is one of the fascinating things. Salt was such an important thing to have in the ancient world that sometimes that was used as a form of money or payment. So right away when we're learning about money, we're entering a world where money's dealt with in a very different way than the way we deal with money. So I want to begin with two important, they're like wisdom proverbs that talk about money. And I want to show you, this is, what's the first one we're talking about? Gen, like wisdom about money. Okay, this is very, very simple. I'm going to show you these two verses in the Bible. And I think people who are not even Christians would almost read this and be like, this is amazing. I love kind of these things in the Bible. You know, people that you know that don't really read the Bible, they're not sure if they believe in God, but they hear something that sounds kind of right, and they're like, I'm going to tweet that, whatever. So I just want to show you these two Proverbs. They're going to be on the screen, and I want to explain them because they're really important to understand. One proverb, it says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. One. The other one says, The blessings of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. These are sections of the Bible that provide just general wisdom about the Bible. This is important. You need to kind of remember this for the rest of your life. These are general principles about how we think about money. They're not universal rules about money. They're very, very different. They're general principles that we rear, and we're like, you know, that's kind of true. I'll show you like the first one. How many of you have read that the principle of that is kind of true? If you're lazy for a long period of time, it's going to be hard to find food, Right? Now, the danger of misunderstanding this is, and I've done this in my life and many of you know this, is you'll see somebody who's poor and you'll easily misunderstand and say, you know what? Poor people, you know what they are? Lazy. I grew up hearing that sometimes. Oh, you know why those people are poor there? I know a verse in the Bible about this. They're lazy. So I don't give to poor people. You see how easy it is to misconstrue a general principle and think you can apply it as a universal thing that I know a lot of people who are poor and they're not lazy. There's people who experience deep poverty because of corrupt governments, people who took advantage of them, injustice, all of those things, which are also all in the Bible. So we want to learn that when we're trying to grow and understand how the Bible talks about money is that it gives us this wisdom principle, but it's not a universal rule that would apply in every way. The second one, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. You know, you're kind of like, wait a second, so why are we working? You know, there's a whole movement in Christianity which is kind of like a prosperity movement which I'll try to address maybe next week. It's like, oh, you know, you come, you believe in God and God's going to make you rich. And you know how easy it is to use that verse there on every promotion that would sell like every... Oh, look, it's in the Bible. Look what it says. The blessing of the Lord. It's, it's about wealth. And you can't even work for it. It's just a special anointing when you have it. You have it. So if you're not wealthy, guess what's, what that means? God's not what? Blessing you. Sucks to be you, man. See how easy? To take the general wisdom of the Bible and use it as a universal principle that you would use on people. So think about the, the truth of this proverb. The truth of this proverb that all of us will have times in our life that when we look back at our life, we see how God provided us things that we could never have worked for ourselves. That we could have never tried hard enough, but it was him who stepped into a situation and we felt God's provision as real wealth. It doesn't mean that we became rich. But it means that God provided for us because we learned to trust Him. And His blessing followed us. And when we were going through that storm, we could never see it. But when we look back, we're like, Jesus did something there. For some of you, if you're new to the 180, let me just tell you that that's so much part of the story of this church. 
You might just be receiving the blessings of this space, the blessings of this community, the blessings of our kids having their own space. I am times in different churches, in different settings, with different leaders, and I, I'm, I always remember when I talk about our church, obviously, but I always think about how God has been so good to us. And so many of the things that we experience as God's goodness, it's not because I did something special or I have a special anointing or magically I had a magical prayer. No, no, no. It's because God said, you've been faithful with a little, now watch what I do now. But only I'm the one who did that. Never forget that. We have lived the truth of this general wisdom. Make sense? So when you hear people talking about money, just pay attention. You're like, is this kind of wisdom that applies in a loose way and is true? And are people using general wisdom and kind of turning it in a way that becomes very confusing and a lie and a trick and a way to confuse people? And then we're kind of lost in the whole matrix of money. And so as we kind of think about this, I want to go to something a bit deeper, which is what's the second W word? Some of you, honestly, today. So I'm, I'm praying you all go home. <laughs> Right? We're talking about, we talked a little bit about just the way God promises that he's going to bless us. So we have that idea. Now I'm going to talk about warnings. Okay? General wisdom, warnings. I want to move towards talking about how the Bible then warns us about money. Now you might not know this, but Jesus talks about money so often in the Bible. The Bible's filled with sections about money. You know why? Because it matters so much. And because God loves us so much, he's like, you're going to have to know how this works. And we live in a world, you all know this, we live in a world that has found a way to distort one of the most beautiful parts of what it means to be a human, which is to share, to provide, to work hard and to feel like you accomplished something. All of these things that make us human, they make us alive. You know one of the worst experiences is someone just giving you stuff that you can never really work for? We're not wired for that. We're wired to participate and money is one of those. And so as we begin, I want to tell you about a person who gives us warnings about money in the Bible. And I have to do this in a way that will feel like a little bit maybe uh, different. And it has to do with talking to you about the messenger. Okay? So if you're taking down notes, you want to write this down, I want you to think about money and the messenger. That in the Bible, whenever we're introduced to the idea of money, we're also invited to think about who is the person telling us about money. You think about your own life. When you think about a person sharing with you about what they're doing and their money, you often will ask yourself, so you're giving me advice about money, but how are your finances doing, right? You're going to want to know somebody who's doing something well before you take their advice, right? And in the Bible, one of the people who shares with the church about money is a young leader whose name is Timothy, okay? Now, Paul, who's a writer in the Bible, will write to Timothy. He's going to send them a letter, and he's going to say, after you read this letter, as part of that, you tell people in the church, you tell people who love God, tell them this important things they need to know, which are warnings about how money works. And so unless we trust the messenger, we will always doubt whether this is kind of something we're going to take seriously. And I want to tell you a little bit about Timothy because he's a very, very special leader in the Bible. He's a really young leader in the Bible, and in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, we're told a bit of his life story, and I'm going to just read you kind of a little snapshot of Timothy's life. This is what it says, that Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, you should circle that, her name is Eunice, but his father was Greek, okay? The brothers and sisters of Lystra and Iceum spoke highly of him, of Timothy, okay? So I want you to just think of this that Timothy, at some point in his life, doesn't know it yet, maybe in the whole context, he's going to become something he never thought he would be. He's going to become a pastor. Some of you in this room have kids who one day will become pastors. 
Some of you are already nervous. They're like, oh no, Lord, dear Jesus, not my baby. No, no. We have lost the ability to think about the joy and the blessings of God for those who are called to a specific calling of ministry. Now, not everybody's called to that. We're all called to ministry in general. But then sometimes God says, as for you, I want to prepare you for more focused attention to my work, to serve and to care. And Timothy's going to make sense of this. And one day, Paul sees Timothy. There's a long story. You can read more of a story. And, and you can go back, go back to this slide. But Timothy is a young leader, and he has two really important things that are going against him. He's not a pure Jew, and he's not a pure Greek. He's like a half, like a, you know, a half-breed person. In the ancient world, it's very complicated. Like he doesn't know really where he fits. And we know probably from Timothy's life that he early on had to learn what it means to trust God with everything or to trust God's ways related to giving and providing as he stepped out of his home with a mother who's Jewish who probably taught him, you know, the Torah, the writing, and a father who's Greek who's like, oh, wait a second, like, what does that mean? And I don't know if you ever had this. Have you ever had to explain to someone who doesn't understand where you're at, what God is doing in your life? You have to like say, hey, I know it's going to sound really, really strange, but I think God is stirring me to do this or to sacrifice more or to give more or to be more dependent on him. And they're like, oh, that's kind of, kind of weird. This has been a little bit of my story as a pastor. You know, when I was really, really young, I never thought about being a pastor. Many people in my family weren't really into church. And I still remember one of the first times where I sensed that God was kind of starting to say, hey, you know, I have a special thing I want you to do. And obviously, I didn't always hear, I didn't see angels and all that. I started to discern that. And I knew that my next step was to start to learn about the Bible in a deeper way, which is to go to study theology at a theology school. So I, I wanted to do that. And then I looked at how much it would cost to go to a Bible school, because we're talking about what? Money. Okay, some of you are still here. Uh, and I look how much it would cost, and I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going to tell my parents, many of them were like, like, they're not sure. My dad, who definitely is like, wants nothing to do with like church stuff, right? And, and I'm going to explain to him that I need his help to get money to go to learn about the Bible. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. Okay. Uh, I'm like, that's, first of all, it's never going to happen. And I'm not doing that. And I said, you know, it's probably not from God anyway, so I'm not, I'm not even going to do that. And I'll never forget the moment. So one day, it was so strange. It's like etched in my memory. My dad had a, a job where he wasn't always at home. And this one day, it was a Sunday afternoon. It was so strange. My dad was there, and he, we were watching something on TV. And at one point, you know, I was finishing my CJEP, and I was thinking about God, this sense that maybe God was saying, it's time to trust me now in a deeper way. And I had the sense, like, this might be a good time to tell my dad. I'm like, he's either going to kick me out of the house, or I'm going to be like... He's going to say, you're nuts. And I was like, hey, Dad, you know, my school's almost done. And you know, sometimes there's this church I go to. And you know, I'm learning about the Bible. And there's a school that teaches people the Bible if they're serious about, you know, learning. You know? And I remember some of the first questions. He's like, you want to be a priest? I was like, okay. I, didn't, I wasn't ready for that one. I said, okay. I don't know enough about theology to explain that one yet. I said, I think it's something like that. You know? And then he said in his way, it's free, right? I'm like, well, in, in heaven. In the eyes of God, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in, on this planet, monopoly money won't work. <laughs> and I'm like, nope, it, no, it's not that. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of money, and I, I, you know, I, I was wondering if you could help. You know, I was kind of trying to find the right words. It's just quiet. You know, and if you grew up in a, in a family, like maybe parents who were, like worked hard, you know, I was just waiting for him to slap me. I had that moment where like, safe. And then he said he said, oh, we'll see. I was like, did he just say we'll see? 
I, I left. That moment when I left, I like backed up. I'm like, that's amazing. Backed up. I'm like, yes, there's a God. I had no idea. I, I had no idea. I was just trying to make sense of God providing and whether he's with me and, and what would that mean. And I was trying to learn all these things. And, and Timothy, I think, is the kind of leader that the Bible tells us we can trust as our messenger. Not because he's rich, but because he's sacrificed. This is such an important principle. This is such an important principle when you learn about money in the Bible. Because if I asked you, you saw the question up there before, and I joined, if I asked you, who do you trust for financial advice in your life? Who do you trust? None of you would be prone in your, in your, in your human sense to look for someone who sacrificed the most. Almost every one of us will look for someone who's rich. A broker, a banker, podcaster, Gary Vee, whoever. You're going to find someone who's made a lot of money and you're going to say, this person's going to help me. And the Bible says that's not how we learn about money. The messenger is more important not because he's rich, but because he's sacrificed. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's not wise wisdom about money from the world. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if we only think that we learn from a messenger who's wealthy and who's rich, it means it's already a reflection of our hearts that we want to make more money because we want to be rich. And Timothy's he's really much aware of this. So Timothy starts to kind of experience God's provision as he follows God as this young leader. And so he's the kind of person, the Bible says, trust Timothy as he teaches you about money. Because Timothy is going to become this young leader who's going to visit churches. He's going to preach at churches. And you know he's going to have to depend on more than anything. Not only God's strength, but a church that's giving and generous to help him do his ministry. He's going to like, God, if you don't, if you don't raise up in your people hearts of generosity, hearts of giving to your work, my dad's Greek, my mom's Jewish, uh, Paul, I don't really know him that well, but here we go. We live in a world that has distorted the idea of giving and has made it so hard for even for us to have good advice about finances. So this morning as we begin, I want to tell you it's so important that you trust the messengers or you'll never trust what the Bible says about money. This week I read something and I thought, this is a great example of how distorted our world is when it comes to money and giving. Some of you saw this story. You can go to the slide that Tom Brady. Tom Brady's this famous uh, like football player. Some of you like him. Any of you know who Tom Brady is? The GOAT? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Okay, he's amazing. Uh, he's a great quarterback. This week, someone bottled up the sand spot on the beach where he announced he was retiring for real. And on Friday, as of Friday, it was bidding, surpassing almost, almost $100,000 for the sand. Do you know how many churches we can start? <laughs> I always think of that way. You know, like, you know how many churches we can start as we... <laughs> I don't have to tell you we live in a world that has a completely distorted view of what giving money resources is for. And yet we are prone more than anything to get our financial advice from that world. From somebody who got rich. From someone who knew the stocks. From someone who had the apps. He knew. And every single day we are bombarded with this. Next week I'll talk more about it. How we live in a world that money, betting, this, that, GoFundMe page, this you could see why the Bible's like, you, you have to learn about money in the right way. Because if you think you're just going to get it right as you go, the world we live in is so distorted about giving money. And I learn this all the time. Every time you step out in faith and begin to sacrifice, people around you will be like, wait, who does that? Who does that? Who gives to a church financially? When you go do your taxes and they're like, what? You gave this much to church? Why would you do that? You go to church? It will be weird to people who don't believe in God. It'll be weird for people who don't know Timothy. 
who don't know that Timothy is like, listen, listen, let me just tell you, you can trust me. You can trust me what I tell you about God's provision because I went and I sacrificed and I stepped out. So now Timothy's gonna go to a church in the region of Ephesus and he's gonna start talking to them. He's gonna start to warn them. Now we know what's important about Timothy's story is that at the end of this letter as he writes about money, we know he's probably writing about money which is important because many people in the church at this point are well off. Many people I know think about church like, oh, the church is poor people, always struggling, you know, they just love God, but they're weird, right? That's not true. If you read the Bible right away, you know that's not true. There's people early on in the church who got to the place in their life where they understood such an important principle that their money would never make them happy. And they had the money. They were well off, but they still needed warnings about trusting their money too much. So Timothy's gonna write to this church, and this is what he says. At the end of the letter for Timothy, Paul's gonna write, to Timothy for a church. Let's get that right down. It says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Pretty good general wisdom. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Do you trust Timothy? You trust Paul, Timothy? Timothy's like, listen, I've been doing this for a while. And as God has spoken to Paul and as he gets this letter, he's going to share this with the church and he's going to say this to them. He's going to hold together two things that I want you to hold together in your mind just before we wrap up. He's going to hold together the deep meaning of contentment, what it means to be content in who God is, right? Because money always circles around that. It's always there. Sure, you sure? Maybe if you had this, you'd be content. No, no, no. What's the real meaning of contentment? And then he's going to talk about those who haven't understood that yet and they look for ways because they want to get rich. If you're taking down notes, you need to write this down. He's not saying it's bad to be rich. He's saying it's bad for people who want that as the essence of their life. Because anybody who just wants to get rich, trust me, cannot be trusted with more riches. Anybody who wants that at the core of who they are, God cannot trust them with more. But a person who's modeled what it means to be content in God's ways can be trusted with so much more. Now, if you have your Bible and you read this section in Timothy, you're going to see something really profound. That Timothy connects this section about being content and being careful about money with a section on false prophets and false teachers. And over the years of my life, one of the most dangerous things I've seen in churches is preachers who are false preachers, who are liars, who use enough of the general wisdom of the Bible to package a nice thing for people to buy. And if, if you buy this, and if you, if you believe in God, oh, you have no idea, the money. And it's, it's ironic almost in a sense that he's like already in the first century, already when Christianity started, there were schemers. People who knew how to do a sales pitch. People who knew how to say enough about God that would trick people who had not maybe developed the ability to be content. If you have not learned to be content, anybody who promises you fast money will always tempt you. You, If you have not learned this principle of contentment, it's this principle of trusting God's ways. Godliness is the idea of trusting God's ways and God's provision and seeing that as the core of you being content. You will always be tempted by the next person who offers you a bit more money. Don't you want to make more money? Would you be happier if you had a bit more money? We live in a world that is so disordered when it comes to resources that it's built on this essential principle, which is make sure that you're never happy and that you never have enough. That's the principle. Nobody's going to tell you that. 
They're not going to put it on the Quest Trade ad. You know, they're not going to put it on the Amazon ad, but that's the principle. Because if you're happy with the things that just showed up at your house when you clicked cart, you'd never buy it at anything else. But after a few weeks, my headphones, I don't know, they're not nice. After a few weeks, my phone, my phone. We have iPhone 73 out now. Like, honestly, iPhone 12 is still pretty good, guys. Just stick with it. iPhone 10 is still fine. But that won't work. Again, it doesn't get the economy going. The principle is you have to be happy for a week but never content. You just have to want just a bit, but not en- it's not enough. It's not enough. Just, just a bit more, but maybe, but maybe. You want to see how dangerous this principle is in our life? Let's do a little exercise quietly. If you're online, try this. Are you content right now? Think about it. On a scale from 1 to 10, are you content? If you never make more money, if you never buy a bigger house, if you never get another car, if you never buy the next thing on Amazon, if you never, would you be content right now? And if you are, pull out your phone and delete your Amazon app. Honestly, are you just content? And I would say with all of you, I am just for now in the church, Lord. No, because you and I live in a world that's wired to make sure that you're not content. It's rigged in the water. And you have to pay attention to being like, okay, God, I might need some other things. And you might bless me with more. You might even be really, really well off. But I'm content that if you took all those things away, it would not matter. It would not matter. People who are content and have been formed by the way of God in contentment can always be trusted with more. Always. Because those types of people who've let God form them and heal them never want to get rich, but they can trust it to be rich. Remember that. It's such a basic principle that the distorted world and all of its principles on money will never teach you. They'll teach you, you should want to be rich. You should want more. People who practice contentment in the things of God and the good things of God always leave margin in their life for when God might ask them to give to something. People who are content or they're okay when they have a bit more money, they're like, well, we have more money. Let's spend more money. No, no, they have more money. They're like, God, have I committed the amount of resources to your work? Are there people with needs that I need to give to? No, the world's like, it'd be great for you to give, but let's see after you buy everything you, that makes you happy if there's any left to give. And tomorrow, next week, I'll talk about how the world is a very generous in some ways, but it's different than contentment. Contentment is an awareness to say, God, we are happy with where we're at. We want some space in our banking. We want space in our savings. We want some space in the resources, the resources that we have because you might invite us to respond to a need of someone that needs help. And we want to be ready. We want to be ready because we're content. We're, we're content. We're not concerned. And the grips of the world to tempt you to want more, to tempt you to, those, they don't work. It's like, it just goes right off of you. It's like, it won't matter. I don't, I don't want to be rich. It's fine. If God blesses us, that's wonderful. But it's really looking for ways to help others. This changed my life one day, this principle, because when we started our church, when we started the 180, some of you know this, we had partners and people helping, and many people were giving financially to this church. They were giving to our church, and there was nothing here. Like, we were just starting boxes, cold. I remember one of our first, like, one of our first uh, gatherings, and people here remember this, we, the heater, you know, we kept it low, we weren't paying a lot of rent, so people were worshiping with their jackets, I was like, hey, man, the Lord, heat us up, heat us up. All right, right now, the fire of heaven, burn the building down. All right. We were just like, every little bit, we're like, okay, God, we're content with this, but if you would help us, 
It would kind of be great. And, and people responded. Some people gave. And I'll never forget one time, friends of ours in Ontario, they, they came to see me. They knew Bev and I. We had stepped out and said, like, we're going to go do this. And they said, we've been praying and we want to help you with the new church. I said, okay, that's great. And usually they want to pray for us. Maybe they want to help us with a little gift, Starbucks card, whatever. You just see it as being content and God's providing, right? And they said, no, no, as we've been praying, we just felt that we're content that this year we don't need a family vacation. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, we had this big trip. We were going to go to Europe and we had some money set aside and we're content. We don't need that as a family. We're, we want to give it to you. I'm like, I'm like, stop right now. And I'm like, you don't have to do that. They're like, yeah, we're not doing it for you. We're content. This is the work of God. They gave us a gift of $10,000. How do you become that kind of person? You, you learn to be content. Content with room to say, wait, wait a second, we have enough now. And God's work is bigger than just our comforts and our bigger house and our next car. No, no, we have enough. We are content. We don't need to be richer. God might bless us with more, but we're content. Timothy warns about this. He talks about this. And then he leaves us with the bomb of a verse that all of you know, and I want to finish with this. The team comes up. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Oof. I could preach two more hours on that. Because as a pastor, I've seen this time and time and time again. A world that trains us to not need money, to not, you know, to not say we're, we're ready to serve God with, with money that we have, to not even experience God's blessing and riches. That's beautiful. It's not a bad thing to be rich. It's not a bad thing to experience God's blessing. But to want to be rich and to love money is the root of all evil. Can you imagine saying that? If you don't know Timothy, you won't believe this. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the love of money is the root of all evil? Because if you believe that, you will pay attention to whether you're a person who's shaped by godly contentment every day. Because the world we live in is wired to make you love money or what money can buy or what's next all the time. All the time. It's wired that way. And everybody who hears this from Timothy and everybody knows that this is Paul's letter knows that there's one person that they know very well who did not believe this. Obviously didn't understand it, but the principle that Jesus talks about and his name was Judas. Judas is the great symbol for us of someone who can listen to sermons, hear Jesus preach, see the miracles, and then someone says, hey, we got a bit of money. Hey, you know where Jesus is? See Jesus anywhere? In the garden? You know, tomorrow night. You know where he's going to be? We got, we got a bit of money. You, want, you, want, you need a bit of money? Just a bit of extra. Jesus is like, okay. How much? How much extra? He betrays Jesus. How do you become a person who loves money? How does that happen? Nobody's born kind of just, I love money. As we wrap up, I want to just remind you of this. And a mentor talked to me about this years ago, and I never forgot, I want to tell you right now, and it applies to money more than anything else. The five people you listen to the most in your life are the people that shape the inner life of your character. Do the five people you listen to the most in your life, are they lovers of money? 
Are they people who model contentment and joy in the things of God? If they don't, they sooner or later will get their worldview into your heart and to the way you think. All parents know this when their kids go to high school. Oh, Lord, I hope I'm not bad friends. I hope it's safe. I hope no drugs. I hope, I hope, whatever. But as we get it, become adults, that principle, we forget it. It's the same principle. And we live in a world where nobody's just born loving money. They learn to love money. They learn to love money by not being people who worship, by not being people who are content, by not being people who celebrate God's provision, but by like worshiping enough and just hoping I get rich one day. Timothy's like, oh, yeah. And sooner or later, even your faith and the goodness of God and the provision of God is secondary to you wanting more money. And if that's you, God can never trust you with more. And I pray he never does. Because a person who cannot be trusted with more, whose heart is not content in the Lord, is the most dangerous person you will ever meet. Pray your kids don't marry a person like that. Pray you never become friends with a person like that. Because a person who loves money more than anything else, they also love money more than you. The Bible talks a lot about money. And we have the greatest messenger. Paul, Timothy, that guy. I know, like, we're not rich, and I know you think we, we don't know the stock market, and I know you think it's not about that. No, no, don't worry. God provides. You know, a series like this is easy to kind of end. You know, we don't need an altar call. We don't need to come up. The, we just want you to pay attention to how your resources maybe have your heart. And as a church, we all want to learn what it means to be sacrificing together. We use phrases all the time, and next week I'll talk a little bit, a bit more about how this principle applies to the church. So you want to be here, because people have a lot of questions about church and money. We talk about not equal giving, but equal sacrifice, because that's the principle. Someone can give one dollar to say, God, this is yours, and it's all I, can, all I have. It's greater if someone who gives a million in God's eyes, if it wasn't even a sacrifice. It's a biblical principle. I had to learn that. You have to learn that. But as we wrap up this morning, I, I wanted the team to just sing a song for us, and it's going to be slow, but then it's going to end really fast as we celebrate because it's one of the great songs that we sing about God providing something for us before he ever asks us to give anything. That God provides Jesus for us as a reminder that he's the generous one, and he has more than we could ever imagine. And that when we're invited to sacrifice and to be content and to give, imagine, God's like, I gave you $10, you maybe consider giving me one and you keep the nine. And we're like, no, it's like crazy. God's like, I've given you more than you can ever need. And you'll learn contentment when you follow the ways of Jesus, my son. Because if you're a person whose heart is shaped by contentment and shaped by my goodness and shaped by my provision, you'll trust me. You'll trust me. And you'll be looking for ways to share and to provide and to sacrifice with those who are doing the work and are serving and you're doing God's work and I'm doing God's work. So we participate in this together. So as we sing this morning before we go, may this just be a deep sense of celebration of God's goodness to us. Many of you are learning this. Many of you have been giving. Some of you are just starting to give for the first time and I'm so proud of you because it can be so hard if somebody's hurt you but you're doing it. And in doing that, seeds of contentment in God's ways will begin to grow. And you will give your kids and your family and your grandchildren the greatest gift in this world. That all the ways in the, of this world to teach them to love money will never stick on them. Never. Let's sing the song before we close. Well, we'll stand together.
This Jesus carried our shame. This Jesus rose from the grave. Same Jesus we worship today. We worship today. Came to us, grace and in truth, still with us. Still on the moon, same Jesus. He's making us new. He's making us new. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. Still keeping all His promises. The same Jesus. Beginning and end at the sound of his cry, all the world came alive, and he formed us from dust, put his breath in our lungs, he was made for his love, but we ran from the light, but he wouldn't give up on his daughters and sons, so we took up the cross, and he laid down his life, and he did what he said. When he rose from the dead And he's coming back I love that song. I always feel like it's Easter when we sing that song. And it is Easter every Sunday, by the way. Hey, I hope you believe that what Jesus told us about money is true. You cannot love God and money. It's not my words, they're Jesus' words. If you don't believe that, you haven't said yes to Jesus yet. But those who have said yes to Jesus, we believe him. We believe him. And we know that we have a God that Jesus told us about that loves to bless us. He loves to provide more than we as parents love to bless our children and our grandchildren. But in that, we have wisdom, we have warnings, and we have reminders to pay attention to the things that you want and where that comes from. 
So before I let you go, let me pray for us. God, you are so good to us. And you have been so good to us as a church. The days that we wondered how we would pay for things and we were worried about just the next steps and you kept providing. You kept providing. Make us the kind of church that you can trust with more. Make us the kind of church that dreams about new churches and new ministries and new ways to serve and to love this community because we are formed in the spirit of contentment. And we look for ways to celebrate your goodness so that we can share with others and give to your work in this world. I pray for those here today who are struggling with the temptations of this world to love money or to want more of it. In Jesus' name, would you crush that? Crush that spirit of the devil and of the ways of Satan that he tried on you, but they will not work on us. Jesus, would you be honored in the way we use our money and the way we give and the way we practice generosity. Help us today as we go now and as we continue to practice this way of life and help us to be back next week to go deeper in your word and understand this better. We pray this in your name. Amen.